0: The following content is explicit. It's Thursday, May seventeenth, two thousand eighteen. From Slate, it's the Gist. I'm Mike Pesca. The other night, my son Emmett and I we checked into an ABC sitcom I've been meaning to look at for a while, Alex Inc. Alex Inc. stars Zach Braff as Alex Schumann, a Brooklyn-based mm-hmm, podcast producer. Mm-hmm. In fact. Not any Brooklyn-based podcast producer, but an actual friend of mine, Alex Bloomberg of Gimlet. Just like Alex Bloomberg, Alex uh, Schumann, Alex the Braff version, has two adorable children and a quite accomplished and lovely wife whose family hails from the continent of Asia. So in real life, the real wife, Nazanin, she's, uh, her family is from Iran. Fake Nazanin, named Rooney on the show, is from India. Those countries are... Yeah, 2,000 miles apart. You got to go through Pakistan, depending on your route, Afghanistan to traverse them. But that's okay, because these are countries that contain brown girls. And before you find me insensitive, I found out about the origins of the actress who plays the Nazanin character. Her name is Toya Sikhar, and I read about her in Brown Girl Magazine. Brown Girl Magazine was created by and for South Asian women who believe in the power of storytelling as a vehicle for community building and empowerment. So a second ago there, when you're like, what do you, what do you mean, Brown Girl? You didn't know you were getting in the way of my community building and empowerment, did you? All right, shames on you. Anyway, that's how they did the casting of the show, and the TV kids are almost as cute as the real-life Bloomberg kids. So everything was set for me and Emmett to watch this show, to enjoy it. And Emmett knows these kids. He played Monopoly and Nerf basketball with them. This was going to be a show that hit home. First sentence into last night's episode... Fake Alex sets the tone. Starting my own podcast company has been the most... Okay, now, I knew this was the season finale, and we should have probably known this info in the first however many episodes, but okay, I'll indulge you. 30 seconds later, Rooney, or fake Nods, as I call her, comes in. Is that the beautiful Rooney Schumann from the yet-to-be-popular podcast Gone Guy? Hmm. Next scene's a work scene. Okay, first order of business. Time to check the weekly podcast rankings. Does it seem to you like they're saying a certain word a lot? I mean, I have two podcasts, the one you are listening to. And upon further review, please subscribe in Stitcher or Apple. But I'm a little loath to mention each podcast too much. But apparently Alex Inc. has no such compunction. And sometimes it felt like no
1: one knew our podcast was even there.
0: There was a certain word. We're the most downloaded podcast in the country. Said a lot. Thousands of people have suddenly taken notice of our podcast. Yeah. As a guy who works in the industry of the podcast... I have to tell you, we, within these walls, we don't say the word podcast that much. Though, I do have to say, I once shadowed some NYPD cops for a story, and the whole time, they were saying things like, police, and police, freeze, and police, open up. So I suppose different workplace dramas have different standards. Still, I turned to my young companion, and I proposed a game. So we were watching the show as we were finishing dinner, and I said, every time they say podcast, drink. Now, I was drinking water, and he was drinking beer. Come on, it was light beer. Don't judge. No, I'm kidding. It was the other way around, and it wasn't light beer. So we developed our own Pavlovian response. Every time we just heard, How are we going to pull off five new podcasts? We drink. Your podcast. How's the podcast coming? Five podcasts by the end of the year. So they said podcast 11 times in the first 4 minutes and 22 seconds of Alex Inc., and Emmett was well hydrated. And I was drunk. I said, if we could popularize this game, we will make the show, Alex Inc., the biggest hit on ABC. Plus, teach Emmett a valuable life lesson. Today I read the network had canceled Alex Inc., the show about podcasts. <laughs> Luckily, Alex's real ink is still going strong. So while the fake version is gone, real Alex survives. But still, I will pour one out for the TV show, Alex Inc., Or I would if I weren't out of beer and Emmett was done with his 40 ounce of water. On the show today, I spiel about Trump's 15 minutes of palaver while sitting beside the head of NATO, but first, two NBA coaching vacancies. Huh? What? On the gist? Are you sure this is the gist? Yes, yes. Because one of the candidates has something a little bit different about her than the usual NBA coach. A careful observer of pronouns can figure it out. casual NBA fan knows that LeBron James and his Cavaliers are still in the playoffs, and out West, the Warriors and Rockets are tied at one game each in their best-of-seven series. It takes a somewhat closer observer to keep track of NBA coaching vacancies. But the Magic, Pistons, Raptors, their team's still looking for a coach. And yesterday, the Milwaukee Bucks hired a coach of their own. Now, one candidate for that Milwaukee job, also mentioned for the Pistons job that's still open, is Becky Hammond. She's an assistant with the best-run team in the NBA, the San Antonio Spurs, and a former player and, by all accounts, a brilliant basketball mind. One of the writers who provided such an account is Luisa Thomas, who wrote for The New Yorker the story, How Far Can Becky Hammond Go in the NBA? And also joining me is perhaps the biggest Spurs fan on the planet, Shea Serrano, who writes for The Ringer and is the author of Basketball and Other Things. Hi, guys. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. What up? what There you go. So here's the question, and this was at least on some versions of your New Yorker piece, Louisa. How far can Becky Hammond go in the NBA? She can become a head coach.
2: It can be a long process, even if you're a serious candidate. As Greg Popovich told me, there are assistants who are uh, fantastic assistants who are, you know, on this second row for— 10, 15 years before they really get a serious shot. So it's not remarkable that it's taking a while.
0: So, Shay, you're perhaps the biggest uh, Spurs fan on the planet. When Popovich, uh, the legendary head coach of the Spurs, put Hammond on on the payroll and
3: hired her as a coach, what were you thinking? I was thinking this is fantastic. You know, of course it would be Pop and the Spurs who would be the first ones to do this, first to hire as an like an actual assistant coach. Right. So yeah, everybody yeah, full-time assistant. everybody in San Antonio was very excited about it. I mean, she had she played for the for the the WNBA version of the Spurs, the Silver Stars. So we all knew who she was already, and she was clearly very good, and she was it was like known in San Antonio Becky's the one who sort of runs the show, so it just made sense that she would come there.
0: Yeah, she's obviously brilliant. She's obviously, if you just look at her resume, the kind of person who would be hired to be on a coaching staff, but for the fact that she is a woman. Now, Louisa, I'm sure that when you interviewed the Spurs, they are employees of this organization and she is, uh, to some extent, her boss. Did you get a sense of what the players really thought about Becky
2: Hammond? Across the board, I got the sense that everybody who came into contact with her loved her. Obviously, not everybody in the NBA is thrilled about the idea of a a woman being a head coach or a woman being an assistant coach, for that matter. But within the organization, I think that she's hugely respected. She came in with a lot of respect, a lot of support, and it only grew over the course of the past few seasons.
0: And to follow up, is the respect based on she's a good person, she cares about us, I've heard coaches say they they don't care about how much you know until they know about how much you care, or did she just kind of wow them with her basketball i q? Those are not mutually exclusive things. Correct.
2: <laughs> I think that they both saw that she actually cares about them as a human being. Um that's something she really stressed to me. The old cliche of you know, making men like sports <laughs> making men. It's actually kind of true with the Spurs, but they also are one of the kind of really novel and important things that they're doing is that they're showing that, It doesn't just take men to make men, you know, that that part of what being a, a man means is taking the leadership of a woman.
0: And, Shay, could you give me a sense of – so whenever there is a dynasty in, established in sports and there's one head coach who presides over a really successful organization like Belichick and the Patriots or, or Popovich and the Spurs, other teams will defer to that success and want to pluck assistants. Is it generally the case that a Spurs top assistant will always be a guy who's mentioned as uh, being a candidate for different jobs? What's the general time frame and pattern been like, Shay?
3: They are usually mentioned in there, yeah, for sure, whenever a new coaching thing comes up. And we've seen it happen like just recently with, with uh, Borrego, James Borrego. He's a coach of the Hornets now, and it was like, all right, cool. It just made sense because you come from the Spurs, you're just sort of blessed that way. So, yeah, when you get that Popovich stamp on your forehead, it ju- it does make things easier. You, it, it makes everybody just sort of go, well, he worked for Pop. Pop knows what he's talking about, so this will work. Same thing with Becky. It's like, well, she worked with Pop. And if she doesn't get the Bucks job, her name will continue to be mentioned until she does eventually get a coaching position or head coaching position somewhere. Like that's going to happen now. We're just sort of all adjusting to the idea, it feels like, which which is like equal parts fun when you see people excited about it and also equal parts sucky when you see people sort of trying to foot sweep it away.
0: Yeah, but are those sucky people, are they people with real decision making power in the NBA still? So if our listeners don't know, the NBA is the most progressive league and the number one guy, Popovich, is is really progressive. I mean, he's an Air Force veteran, but you know, he's talking a lot about social issues, but also just progressive in how in how he does his job and how non hidebound he is. How many teams will just be a little resistant and maybe making an excuse like, well, it's not us, but I don't know if the fans will handle it? And how many teams really are like, my God, why wouldn't we want the best uh, candidate for the job?
2: When I talk to a lot of both reporters who've covered the league and and also sort of some people have been in and around the league, they sort of caution that there might be well-meaning people in front offices who like the idea of hiring a woman head coach, but there are only 30 of these jobs. And these organizations, whether or not they're progressive are inherently conservative when it comes to things like hiring decisions. That's why when you see there have been a lot of vacancies and a lot of the names that have been swirling around are actually names of guys who've like not had great success recently, but they've been through it all, you know, they're sort of known quantities and it takes a risk to do something new. And, you know, if you are in a situation where you are about to hand over an incredible amount of power and, With a lot of money at stake, a lot of people are going to sort of say, well, we just can't afford to take the risk, either because they have a chance to succeed soon and they want to go with something that is more of a sure bet, or they just are actually kind of backwards um, in the way they think about things, and that's why they're in a bad situation to begin with. I do think that that's changing. Part of Becky's name being in the conversation more constantly is normalizing this idea that it's actually not taking such a big risk.
0: But with the NBA, it does seem to me... And Shay, I'd like you to weigh in on this. It does seem to me that you have younger owners. And also, the teams that are the most successful are the teams that are the least traditional. So Golden State, yeah, they have this great roster, but they reinvented or they uh, capitalized on this revolution in thinking, rethinking basketball. And we're talking about the Spurs, definitely the most consistently successful franchise over the last 20 years being extremely progressive. And the Celtics are doing great and they seem to be on the cutting edge of doing things differently. Like if you compare the mindset from the uh, NFL, don't go for two because the fans are going to be mad at you. I can't definitively prove that innovation correlates to success in the NFL, but in the NBA, it really seems to me that the more innovative is almost always the more successful. So I wonder what the uh, what the blowback
3: might be. But you tell me, Shay. As far as the innovation, you have a bunch of people who have tried things and it just didn't work out, so we don't celebrate them near as frequently. So, I think that that's a situational thing where you go, like, oh, well, what did the Warriors do because they're the best in the NBA right now? Oh, they right. started shooting, you know, started shooting a lot of three point or whatever. Like, right. whatever. People had, people had tried it before, but they just didn't have Steph Curry and Clay Thompson and Kevin Durant. If you're asking me, is the NBA more likely to have a head coach who's a woman than the NFL? Of course, 100%. There's no question about it.
0: Well, clearly, they have, they have uh, a head coach who's interviewing for a job, which hasn't happened. Do you think so? In football, there was the Rooney Rule, which said, let's just get minority candidates in the room, and this will uh, lead to minority coaching, and it happened. I mean, it might not have been perfect, and there were a lot of people who opined against it at the time, but it seemed to have happened. Do you think something like that can happen with uh, interviewing a woman like Becky Hammond, or specifically Becky Hammond in the
2: NBA? Obviously, there cannot be a Rooney role for female coaches in the NBA because there aren't enough really strong female candidates. But that doesn't mean there aren't any. Teams should start looking, at least at the assistant level, for, at um, people like Don Staley. And, and there have been a lot of fantastic female coaches who have not really been treated or the way they should have been by front offices that are hiring. So hopefully, that will start to change.
0: Shay, give me a sense of the uh, Spurs staff. I don't know if they rank their assistants, but you had one assistant who was just hired by the Hornets. And then when Popovich was out, I think after um, his wife died, it was a different assistant who ran the team, right? So that would perhaps indicate to me that maybe Becky Hammond's only third on the depth chart, or
3: am I being too reductive? That just has to do with, with Becky had not been around as long. I don't think it was... We don't think Becky's as smart as this other guy.
2: I, I can also say, I mean, Becky sits currently in the in the second row. She doesn't sit next to Popovich on the bench. And so that's generally re- the spot reserved for the, the two lead assistants. I think Shay's absolutely right. I don't think that they do really kind of rank the coaches in terms of who they listen to or who they respect the way it works is that there are some coaches that are developmental coaches. There's some coaches that are, you know, the Spurs has, have a famous shooting coach. There are other coaches who kind of divvy up scouting teams. Becky's part of that pool where she has, you know, four or five teams that she's responsible for and scouting. And she knows every single thing about one of those teams. So it, it kind of works like that. It's like, so she's sort of lead voice when they're playing Ex team, and of course she wouldn't tell me what her teams were, but um, you know, yes, as as she's there longer, you know, maybe she gets into the front row and becomes a more visible visible presence in that sense. But it's not like she's a you know quote unquote junior assistant or something like that.
0: Couple things. Uh, one, I like how the seating arrangement tells you something about their importance, so it's a little like the Supreme Court. Two. It's funny to me that the assistants won't even admit who they're what their team of expertise is. I don't know. Are they worried about like Israeli Mossad black ops agents infiltrating them specifically? I would figure if you just looked at the coaching staff during play with different teams, you could probably get a good idea about which assistant is talking to Popovich more against which teams.
2: Well this is this is the Spurs we're talking about, and they are kind of like <laughs> unbelievably protective it's trying to wring water from a rock
3: the standing line in san antonio anytime somebody asks about something like that is that one of the coaches will say it's family business it doesn't matter what you're asking about but that's always like oh this is family business so we're not going to tell you anything
2: i had all these great stories about becky you know interacting with players like specific you know very specific stories that were totally revealing of how she you know how great she was in, in terms of breaking through with them and um and also showing off her basketball intelligence. And I couldn't use them because <laughs> she like basically claimed like lawyer client privilege or like doctor patient privilege. Like, even though it made her look good, you know, she was so protective of her relationships with these people. And one of the reasons why they really trust her is that they know that she's not going to go around like name dropping or revealing things about them or revealing, you know, the inner workings of of the team. Like, she's very kind of, she's very spursy in that way.
0: (laughs) All right. And here's my last question. Becky Hammond one day gets hired. I'm not going to go to Jackie Robinson, but is it right below that? in terms of the importance of sports and society? What do you think? Louisa, so you could go first.
2: I think, fortunately, racism in the 1950s and 40s and 60s and, you know, still. Let's, I mean, us just name every decade. Let's just, just mean, name, name, it's, decade. it's, let's just yeah, name exactly. the decades. <laughs> Basically. In America, like yeah. history, yeah. there's no state that she has to go to where she cannot, you know, use a water fountain or things like that. I mean, so, yeah, I don't think it's on the level of Jackie Robinson, fortunately. But, but certainly, it is a big deal, I think.
3: Yeah, I think as far as sports stories go, this will be the biggest NBA story since the LeBron's decision. Like, as far as the, uh, we're talking about dissected or impacting right. other things, yeah. it's, it's right on that level right there as far as just mammothness of the situation.
2: The irony, of course, is that the Spurs, when they hired her as an assistant, they just insist that they had no idea that this was a big deal at all. I mean, their press release did not mention that she was a woman and the morning they, after they hired her, they set up, you know, a few small look local media KCRW or whatever the station is, as RC Buford said to me, like we were naive and suddenly good, good morning. America was like at our doorstep. You know, it is such a big deal because it's so long overdue. A woman was almost president, you know? But a woman can't be a head coach? <laughs>
0: yeah. Really? Yeah. <laughs> I'll play uh, some sort of uh, sports uh, shock jock trope as we go out on this. All right. Last second. What are the chances she gets hired? Louisa Thomas, what do you say?
2: This year or No, ever? eventually. I mean, I think that she has a, a very, very serious shot.
0: Shea Serrano, will we ever see Becky Hammond as a head coach in the NBA? What percentage chance? <sighs>
3: There's a 100% chance she eventually is coaching an NBA team.
0: You heard it from Shea Serrano. Put it down. <laughs> Sound effects. Shea Serrano writes for The Ringer. Louisa Thomas writes for The New Yorker. They do a lot of brilliant things when we were talking about Becky Hammond. Thanks so much, guys.
2: Thank you.
3: Hey, you're welcome, homie.
0: Now, the spiel. Sometimes I like to play the let's give President Trump the benefit of the doubt game. I think the headlines saying that Trump calls immigrants animals, that was unfair. Well, he did call immigrants animals. That was insensitive, but which immigrants? Here's the whole setup. First voice you'll hear talking is the Sheriff Margaret Mims of Fresno County, California. There could be an MS-13 gang member sure. I know about. If they don't reach a certain threshold, I cannot tell ICE about them. No. We have people coming
1: into the country who are trying to come in. We're stopping a lot of them. but we're taking people out of the country. You wouldn't believe how bad these people are. These aren't people.
0: These are animals. So clearly, the people he was talking about being animals were MS 17, who actually are people. actually, actually, they are also animals, since all people are animals. But still, don't compare people to animals, even the bad people, even the good animals. But for a president who once said that Glenn Beck and later Eric Erickson, and then once Ted Cruz's communication director, he said that they were all fired like a dog, eh, the animal comparison deal has not come back to bite him. So you do want to be fair and cut him a little slack for that criticism. Sure, it was cruel and crude. And maybe a good person would try to see the goodness in everybody, even shithole people. Yeah, it's too late with Trump. Fine. But then Trump talked a little bit off the cuff in a meeting with the NATO head today. And wow. Just wow.
1: So that's a lot different than what you read. But oftentimes what you read, if it's not fake news, is true.
0: And that's not even the wow part. That's the duh part. He's steadily approaching a working definition of fiction and nonfiction. I also like the part where he said, oftentimes, that would be the poetry section. Then Trump talked about the trade deficit with China as if it were a bank heist.
1: An evacuation of wealth like no country has ever seen before, uh, given to another country that's rebuilt itself based on a lot of the money they've taken out of the United States. But
0: then Trump uttered something that inspired hope in my soul, that he is beginning to understand that the process of trading and the process of defrauding are slightly different things
1: it was my administration with my full knowledge that put very very strong clamps on zte it wasn't anybody else it wasn't uh, president obama it wasn't president bush it was me i put very strong clamps on zte they did very bad things to our country they did very bad things to our economy the one thing I will say, they also buy a large portion of their parts for the phones that they make. And they're the fourth largest company in terms of that industry. They buy those parts from the United States. That's
0: a lot of business. Yes, yes. It turns out that a country that engages in export-import will not only export, but also, it eh, eh, no, not Ivanka, eh, Im, Im, not immigrants, import. Uh, imp, not impose a ban on foreigners. Imp- import. The word is import. They buy and then they sell. And I don't want to blow your mind or anything. But when they sell and the U.S. buys that stuff, that also helps U.S. buyers. And none of that is even the wow part. But it was quite a riff. Here is the wow part. Well, the Libyan model. Oh, no. Is he thinking of this?
1: My name is a telecommunications sales representative, and I'm representing Libya.
0: No, no. Here's what he really meant.
1: Well, the Libyan model isn't a model that we have at all when we're thinking of North Korea. In Libya, we decimated that country. That country was decimated. There was no deal to keep Gaddafi. The Libyan model that was mentioned was a much different deal. This would be with Kim Jong-un, something where he'd be there, he'd be in his country, he'd be running his country. His country would be very rich. His people are tremendously industrious. If you look at South Korea, this would be really a South Korean model in terms of their industry, in terms of what they do. They're hardworking, incredible people.
0: Okay, so we get the part that he thinks that North Koreans are hardworking because South Koreans are fine. South Korea is also a Western-facing democracy. Fine, fine, fine fine-tuning. But I'm not sure he knows the timeline behind Muammar Gaddafi's ouster. Gaddafi agreed to give up his pursuit of nuclear weapons in 2003. In 2011, as a consequence of the Arab Spring, the dictator was overthrown and killed. What is Trump saying? Is Trump saying if Kim Jong-un denuclearizes that the United States will be there for years and years past his own presidency? He will be there, we will be there to fight off Kim's enemies. Should forces within North Korea conspire against Kim, don't worry, we will always have his back. You know, I would say Kim would be crazy to think that Trump was serious. But given Trump's penchant for strongmen and his distaste for civil liberties within different countries, maybe maybe he does mean what he says. And he's saying that ignore Libya because the U.S., from this point forward, will always have the back of a dictator once the dictator has done a favor for Donald Trump. And Donald Trump sticks by what he says. Although he did end his remarks with these words. Because we cannot let that country have nukes. We just can't do
1: it. So that's the way it meant. It's really just the opposite. Because if you, if you look at, again, you look at Syria, that was a total decimation.
0: Yeah, he said Syria. Clearly he meant Libya, and by Libya he really meant not North Korea. Because you know, that Libyan model, Little Lippy, didn't know her place. And that's it for today's show. Pierre BNMA doesn't think the Brazilian model is a good model. She was very upset after the Patriots dropped all those passes in that Super Bowl that one time. Mary Wilson, just senior producer, has examined the crest and troughs of waves, how they come in and always get higher, nothing but higher, and their height is the biggest ripoff the American people ever signed. Now there is an ebb, always an ebb, never a flow. Where's the flow? Steve Liktai is executive producer of Slate Podcasts, who wants you to know that those individual or individuals involved in rooting through his garbage and chewing the wires in his attic and building nests in his gutters are animals. They are just animals. The Gist Podcast. Personalized audio on demand. Chug, 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 chug. Umperu depperoo And thanks for listening.